Mom was looking for a house, which was no easy challenge. The house where she lived, she lived at for over 20 years. She knew her neighbors well, had made lots of memories. But for her age and stage in life, it was time. It was time to pick a new home here on earth, and she's been looking for a long time. One particular day, I've tried to help mom as she's been hunting because she's looking, she's going to make this move. Uh, She wanted to get the right house. And so her very patient realtor (laughs) showed her lots of homes, and occasionally mom would find one that she thought would fit the bill. I got the call one day, she said, I think I've found this home, I think I'm ready to make an offer. I'm going to go see it again, and I'd like you to come. So I I went, and I looked at this beautiful home. It was beautiful on the outside. It was full of lots of character and charm. The problem, however, was as I began to walk around, I noticed cracks in the foundation. And as I did a little more digging, I was able... This is an older house. There was kind of a cellar and some stairs into what would be a basement, but not finished, uh, except for the cement walls. And there were bigger cracks, and some of the walls were coming in. And even as a person who's not highly uh, construction-oriented, I knew uh, this would only be buying a lot of problems. So I had to deliver the bad news. It was difficult. She really did love the house and all that it had and the character and the charm But the problem was, underneath, where it was a little harder to see, the foundation. Foundations are really an important part of your physical home, but they're not easy to see. We're starting a new series today, and we're talking about the foundations. I'm calling the series Bedrock, and you see up above the image that's the representation for this series. You'll notice immediately as you look at the image that there are three parts to the image. The first is the raging storm. The wind and the waves uh, uh, in this storm is uh, tremendous. No doubt if there's any boats out on the sea, they're being tossed to and fro, probably in danger of their own lives. Uh, Wise sailors would not sail in those seas. Those storms represent the culture where we are currently. The wind and the waves are blowing. The rain is pouring. The sea is raging. And it's tossing people back and forth. The second part of the image is the lighthouse. The lighthouse represents... Us, uh, not people in a building, you see, but, but people who are followers of Jesus. Uh, when you choose to follow Jesus, you are added to the body of Christ. And when you are added to the body of Christ, you become part of something. Uh, somebody said the phrase, bigger than yourself. That's absolutely true. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead they put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to all in the house. 
So followers of Jesus are the light. One thing that's interesting, if you've ever read or studied the book of Revelation, how Jesus refers to the churches in those first few chapters of Revelation are lampstands, lighthouses. Our function is to give the light, to do what the lighthouse in the picture is doing, which is, one, to warn against danger. To, to say to all the ships on the horizon, there is danger if you keep sailing in this direction. You will run aground. You will damage your vessel. It is also to send light in the darkness so that those on the seas can navigate and have their bearings. And it's also to offer shelter from the storm. The third image in this image is the foundation of the lighthouse. The bedrock, that which the lighthouse stands upon. It's permanent. It's built to withstand heavy storms and to hold a solid lighthouse for a long time. So we have the storm, we have the lighthouse, and we have the bedrock. As the storm represents the culture, the lighthouse represents the church, and the bedrock, the foundation, represents the foundational permanent, immovable, unchanging truths of God and his word. And so in this series, we're going to address all three. We're going to address all three of those elements. Today, I I, I want to focus on the bedrock. And I've got something that's on my heart that I just want you to chew on with me. And so I'll ask you to open your Bibles And turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 is the section of the gospel account where Jesus is preaching. He is giving a sermon that in Matthew we call the Sermon on the Mount. That in Luke we call the Sermon on the Level Place. Or some people call it the Sermon on the Plain. There is some back and forth as to whether this is the same sermon, simply condensed by Luke, or if it's two separate sermons and a case could be made either direction. One big difference in Matthew's version and Luke's version is the length of the sermon. Matthew takes three chapters to write down that sermon in the English translation. Luke takes half a chapter in Luke chapter 6. Matthew's sermon begins with what we call the Beatitudes, and they start with the word blessed. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are you when people say evil against you, and so forth. In, in, Matthew, in Luke's version, he has some blessings, but he also has some woes, some admonitions, some warnings. Rather than pick apart all of the differences between Matthew and Luke, I, I just want to focus on a, one of the main similarities, and it's at the close of the sermon. And Jesus, being a master preacher, ends the sermon with a story, or what we would call a parable. A spiritual story, a, a, an earthly story designed to convey a spiritual truth. You're in Luke chapter 6. I'd like you now that your Bibles are open uh, to put your Bible to the side. I want you to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. 
The words which are written are inspired by the Spirit, and uh, I will read them, and I hope you will listen well to God's Word. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built house on the ground without a foundation when the stream broke against it. Immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. You may be seated. As we think about Luke chapter 6... Verses 46 through 49, I I want to point out three specific things on the subject of obedience to Christ. This is how Jesus starts. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The, The world loves Jesus. That may surprise you, but the world really does love Jesus so long as Jesus fits in a nice, neat box. And that box is this. Jesus is a nice guy. Jesus is a good man. Jesus is a moral teacher amongst all moral teachers. Jesus just wanted to hang out with you and be your friend. And and if Jesus, we can fit Jesus into that nice box, the world loves Jesus. Perhaps you have seen the Super Bowl commercials, uh, Jesus gets us, gets us. And the pictures are are scenes from today's world and saying, Jesus was like this. Jesus understood that. Jesus gets us. Well, I believe that. I understand. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus gets us. My problem is that they left out a very fundamental important, you might call it foundational part of who Jesus is. And this is the part that the world doesn't love. Because you see, it's not so popular. The, the, The world begins to hate Jesus when he climbs out of the box, when he pushes down the walls, and he claims to be the only son of God. Ah, Jesus, you can't say that. You see, there are many roads and paths that lead to heaven, and we'll all get there. We just got to sincerely believe what's in our heart, and God will show us the way. And it doesn't really matter what you believe, so long as you sincerely believe it. And Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Jesus, you get back in that box now. You see, you, you can't say that. You are not the only way. Do you know how many religions there are? Do you know how many other religious leaders there are? You are just with them. Now get back in there and stop talking about this only way stuff. 
When Jesus claims to be the only son and the only way and the exclusive way to God, the world and Jesus part ways. And you and I have to decide if we're truly going to follow Jesus. Now, I would guess, since you're here, that you want to follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, here's what Jesus says. You've got to fully surrender to him and obey him. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? John chapter 14, we talked about verse 6, but in nine verses later, he'll say, If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus was so very clear about who he was. And the thing is, if Jesus was Lord, if Jesus is Lord, then everything that he said is eternally important. But Jesus is just a good man, a moral teacher. We can put him in this box that the world puts. Then, then we can pick apart the things of Jesus that we like and discard the things we don't like. But Jesus there, again, saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you want to call me, follow me, call me Lord, do what I say. You see, the world loves a certain kind of boxed-in Jesus. And even many religious people want Jesus as their Savior. But very few people, even religious people, want him as Lord. And that's different. This is so foundational to who we are as a people. This morning, I don't want you to just think about the world boxing in Jesus, because That's not who we're addressing. I want you to think about yourself and ask yourself, do I love Jesus enough to follow him and obey him fully? So the first thing we understand is that with Jesus, obedience is not optional. Second, we're still in verse 46. We understand that obedience to Christ is the starting point for discipleship. I was thinking about an old song, uh, an old hymn, we don't sing much anymore, Trust and Obey. Great song, but it would always be sung at the invitation. The point was that if you love Jesus, you'll repent and be baptized. And nothing wrong with that, but that's the starting point. If you follow Jesus Obedience to him is a lifelong decision. So I want to ask you the question from verse 46. Why do you call Jesus Lord? It's a sobering question, especially for religious people. Jesus said that on the day of judgment... Many people will come to Jesus and call him Lord. If you want to look at one example, Jesus shared it in Matthew 7. Matthew 7 verse 21, he said, On that day, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He will later say, on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do all these good works in your name? And he will say to them plainly, away from me, I, I never knew you. So obedience is not optional. It's the starting point for faith. And even more than that, faith without obedience really isn't faith. Now, we're getting into a little bit of doctrinal territory. You you understand that there are those who believe and subscribe to the doctrine of faith alone, which is that one person, all they need to become a follower of Jesus is simply faith alone. Well, I... I would say I would agree so long as we're very clear about what you mean by faith. Uh, In the doctrine, faith is simply a belief. It's simply an attitude of the heart. It's a decision. But biblical biblical faith is never just tied to a belief. Biblical faith is never just tied to an intellectual assent. Rather, biblical faith is always conjoined with obedience. Look at every single hero of faith in Matthew chapter, I'm in Hebrews chapter 11, and you will see that their faith was made evident by what they did. Abraham is called the father of the faithful, was promised a son, Isaac. After a hundred years, he was finally, at long last, given a son. And God called him to go and offer that son up on the mountain. And the scripture says the next day, the next morning rather, Abraham went. That's faith. Not that he just believed in God, but believed in God enough to submit himself and surrender his son fully and completely. That is what the Bible calls faith. And we're talking about that kind of faith, then I agree it's that kind of faith. But that's not usually the case with the religious world's definition of faith. So let's go to Scripture and make sure Scripture shows us the way. If you're following along, you'll want to write these verses down. John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And then it says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Oh, man, so many people cringe with that verse. Oh, I wish God was nicer. I sure wish we could scrub that one out. But Jesus is clear. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, the Son's the only way. And he's the only way that we can be protected from the wrath of God. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9. The writer of Hebrews describes Jesus and he says, Jesus, he being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. But there's an important phrase that follows. He became the source of eternal salvation to all. To all? 
there's even more, to all who obey him. James chapter 2, verse 24. You, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, wait a second. I thought Ephesians tells us that we are not saved by our own works, lest any man should boast. Well, that's true. So how do we justify Ephesians and James? Well, some people say, well, I like to just camp out in Ephesians. And some religions say, I like to camp out in James. But people of faith bring both verses together and say, of course, we are not saved by our works. We are only saved by the work of Jesus. How do we receive the work of Jesus? It's by faith in him. And James tells us that that faith must be evidenced by your obedience to him. It's not those works that save. It's those works that show your faith in him is surrendering to him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, For this, this is the love of God. This is 1 John 5, 3. And then there's a lot of churches that say, you know, we just really need, we ignore all the commands, the list, the rules, everything else. Just love. We just need love. I, and I, to some degree, I agree with that. As long as we let the scripture define what love means. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commands. Again, you're not earning God's love. You're not proving anything. You're not climbing the ladder to earn your way into heaven. But if you love Jesus, you obey Jesus. That's what faith is. Your faith in Jesus and your obedience to Jesus are inseparable. It is impossible for to you to say you love Jesus and then to live contrary to Jesus. It is impossible to say you have faith in Jesus and live in ways that he is clearly against. Lastly, we see that obedience to Christ is the only Sufficient shelter for the storm. In Luke chapter 6, back to our key text, he says in verse 47, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he is like. And in that verse, we got three essentials to Christianity. First is everyone who comes to me, The word there meaning who yields to me, submits to me, surrender is the idea. The second is everyone who comes to me and hears my words. Many people hear Jesus, few people obey Jesus. We're talking about hearing Jesus, hearing Jesus' words. We're not talking about sound going in your ears. You know, arguably, it has is, is never been easier in the history of the world to hear Jesus and Jesus' teachings. You can hear it from the pulpit. You can hear it from a podcast. You can hear it from YouTube. You can hear it proclaimed most everywhere. But, that, but listening and hearing and subscribing to the podcast and watching and listening, all of that is not truly hearing. Hearing Jesus is letting it resonate not in your ears, but in your heart. 
And the third is obedience. So we got surrender, that's submitting to him. Discipleship, which is hearing in your heart and yielding to him. And obedience, which is, and does them. Jesus says, here's my words, and does them. And this is so important. Because some people want to take Jesus' words, but they only want the words they agree with. They only want the words that yield to them. Instead of shaping themselves to the words of this book, they shape the book to themselves. And that is not how God intended his word to be used. That is not what Jesus intended by his teachings to do them, to yield to them, to surrender to them, whether it makes sense, whether it's easy, whether it's comfortable or not. Jesus calls us to hear his words and to do them. Then he tells at last this parable. He says, I'll tell you what the one who comes to me, who hears my words and does them, I'll tell you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Here we have two people who seem on the surface very much the same. Two builders. They have the same mission. They have the same purpose to build a house. But they have a very different method. One of them is going to build just right, just start building right on the topsoil. And the second is going to go through the extra cost and the extra expense and dig down deep to bedrock to put the foundation there. One focused on the facade, the other focused on the foundation. Both of these men are people who heard Jesus, the one who dug down deep is the one who obeyed Jesus. Understand, Jesus is telling us something, and he's telling religious people something, and it's this. Hearing my words is not enough. Knowing my words is not enough. What you have to do, what the disciple comes to, is a point of total surrender to Jesus. And why? Well, verse 49 tells us, The one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Living in Kansas, you've seen lots of storms. The triplets are familiar with storms. We have people who understand what it's like to be in a flood and have everything you own wiped out. Or to have your home and your land destroyed by a tornado. The the, the point that Jesus is making here is very simple. A storm is coming. And Jesus, loving as he is, warns us that a storm is coming. Why, why did the one man dig down deep? It's more difficult. You study building houses in the land of ancient Israel. It's kind of a fascinating topic, but a little bit of a rabbit trail, so we're not going to go there. But the bottom line is, is that building right is typically more costly, and it takes more time. Why bother? 
because it's the only way to build to withstand the storm. Disobedience to Christ, self-delusion, that I go to church and I know the words and I've heard the preacher preach, is so dangerous because a storm is coming and if your house is not built on the foundation, it's not ready for the storm. Disobedience to Christ is building on the sand. And its end will only be our destruction. My mom did finally find a house. Here very recently, she's actually living there now. She called again, she asked me if I would come and look at it. Her realtor, from the moment they walked in, said... Joyce, this is it. I came looking as a son, knowing that in Kansas, whatever house she resided on would face wind and hail and storms and tornadoes. And so when I pulled in the drive, I didn't immediately go inside. But I walked around this brick house and I looked for cracks in the brick. I looked at the foundation. Because I knew a storm was coming. And I wanted her home to stand. Brothers and sisters, any guests here this morning, a storm is coming. And the most loving thing I can do and that Jesus did is to tell you a storm is coming. Because the time to prepare for the storm is not during the storm. You, you don't drag shingles up on the roof during the hailstorm. It's just not wise. The time to prepare for the storm is before the storm. And so, this morning, I simply ask you this simple question. And it's simple, but it is foundational. Have you obeyed Jesus? Have you done what he asked you to do? When you read his commands, not just about belief and baptism, but about forgiving your enemies, about not lusting after women, after keeping your marriage strong. Do, do you listen to those words or do you hear them in your heart? Have you obeyed Jesus? That's bedrock. It's foundational. And there's no other way to prepare for the storm. As I read Jesus, I understand this. There are two types of followers of Jesus. There were then and there are today. There are the fickle and the fully committed. There are the serious and the superficial. Knowing Jesus' words is one thing. Now, we're going to study a lot of foundational truths from God's word. But living according to them, that's foundational. It's not the knowing that matters. It's the doing. It's not how much of this book do you know, it's how much of this book do you live. For disciples of Jesus, his words, his teachings are foundational to all other things. We, we take his word, he is the cornerstone as we sang about, his word is the foundation, and we build our lives upon it because there's no cracks to be found in the foundation of Jesus. 
We build our church on the teachings of Jesus. We build our marriages on the teachings of Jesus. We build our families on the teachings of Jesus. We build our businesses on the teachings of Jesus. We build our relationships on the teachings of Jesus. And mostly, we build our eternities on the teachings of Jesus. My question is, again, have you yielded to Jesus? Have you obeyed Jesus? Have you surrendered to Jesus? It doesn't happen any other way until you say, Lord, not my will, but yours. And this morning, I'm going to ask you if you have obeyed Jesus for the very first time by believing in him, by confessing him as Lord, and by putting him on in baptism. The water is ready. That's not the question. The question is, are you ready? Is your heart ready to begin living a life fully surrendered to Jesus. If you're ready to do that this morning, our shepherds will be at the back. During this next song, which Jason will lead us in, you can go to the back, visit with our shepherds, say, I'd like to begin living my life in obedience to Jesus. And if you've made that commitment, but you've wandered away, you've strayed from the foundation, they'd be happy to pray with you and encourage you and bring it before the congregation if that would be necessary. Whatever needs you have this morning, if you have one, head to the back during this next song as we stand and sing.